Buddhism and Daily Life, Episode 2, by Shaolin Reiner. Buddhism for Beginners If you are a beginner in Buddhism, you will have a hard time. First of all, something very important. Buddhism is not a religion, it is a philosophy and worldview. Buddha explicitly admonished his followers not to worship him, but to strive for personal enlightenment. Therefore, one can follow a religion, for example as a Christian, Muslim or Jew, but still be a Buddhist. Many different teachings have developed from Buddha's original philosophy, and the influence of different cultures has even given rise to completely different types of Buddhism in different regions. For example, Buddhism is lived differently in China than in Thailand or Tibet. Our saints are the focus and different rituals are used almost everywhere. There is not even agreement on the exact date of Buddha's birth. To some extent, the differences between the teachings are also imminent, comparable, for example, with the Catholic and Protestant views in Christianity. For my part, I follow the pure teachings of Buddha, as well as the forms of his worldview received through Bodhidharma and Huineng in Shaolin Temple, China, Chan Buddhism. Chan or Sen originated in China. Buddhism is fundamentally different from the great religious worldviews. It is not about a belief system. The Buddha's teachings do not have as their goal dependence on God or gods, not the attachment to a higher power. In Buddhism, no dialogue in a relationship of superiority or subordination is necessary. Buddhism is about the laws of the world order about the attainment of man's destiny, enlightenment. Buddhism is not about faith. One does not have to believe in enlightenment, it is not a confession. Worship of an omnipotent creator is not necessary. Nevertheless, statues are worshipped in most Buddhist temples today. Over the centuries, the spiritual teacher Buddha slowly became a god after all. Priorities changed over the centuries. Believers wanted symbols. In my opinion, Buddha's statues are symbols of one's own eye. They serve the inner collection. They are symbols of the law of cause and effect. Who was the man who was born as Siddhartha Gautama about 2500 years ago? and who is followed by millions of followers around the world today as Buddha. He was an Indian prince and was probably born in Lumbini, northern India. His father was the powerful King Suddhodana of the Shakya tribe and his mother was the beautiful Maya. In many homes around the world you see a statue of Buddha today. Asian restaurants and Swedish furniture stores like to put up his figures we associate an image of Buddha with peace, equanimity and relaxation. We know his image, but what do we know about him? And what exactly did he teach? How did the teaching then become a worldwide movement and a religion? In Europe about 5 million people profess Buddhism, many millions more worldwide claim to follow Buddha's teachings. 
There is a great deal of overlap between Buddhism and the world's religions. Christianity has the Ten Commandments and Buddha's teachings coincide with those of Jesus Christ in many points. For me personally, however, Buddhism is not a religion, but a philosophy that is fundamental to my life. Buddha never called himself a god. He saw himself in the role of a teacher, a spiritual guide. The young Buddha grew up carefree and happy in a palace. Possibly his house was in present-day Nepal. Similar to today's millionaire children, he was able to spend his youth without worries. Numerous stories have been passed down about him from this time. He married very young, as was customary at the time, had children. The son Rahula has been handed down and enjoyed his exalted position. During excursions outside his palace, doubts about the existing system of that time came to him at a young age. He had several incisive encounters, which he later named in his speeches as the origin of his thoughts. At a meeting with an old man, Buddha thought for the first time about life, about birth, youth, old age and dying. When he attended a funeral, his thoughts about the cycle of being solidified. Life is a natural flow of energy. We come from what feels like nothingness and we go back to that nothingness. Youth passes quickly. All people get sick, old and one day they die. Is that really how it is? When dying, the I leaves a physical body. All experiences, the personality with its tendencies, all this the self takes with it, especially also the karma follows the eye into an intermediate world, the world of emptiness. But this world is not really empty, only it is completely different. Here everything is energy, loops and spirals full of irrepressible power in unbelievable colors acting spatially and temporally with each other, the energy of many different eyes meeting, consequently creating new life, interacting, harmonizing. Buddha could no longer let go of his thoughts. He asked himself questions. If we have to die anyway, why are things so important to me? What still counts when I am no longer here? More and more, the new philosophy, which we call Buddhism today, solidified in Buddha. He decided to give up his wealth and leave his family first. He chose the life of a beggar, very similar to the life of a monk in this time, and began to travel. He met many people, simple people and philosophers, old, young men and women, monks and rich, with all of whom he exchanged ideas. In his time, India was strictly entangled in the system of castes. Small and great princes fought for power and influence. The nobility and the clergy had no interest in change. Countless schools sprang up with the aim of achieving equality and freedom, thus eliminating the unpopular caste system. The time had a certain momentum of its own comparable to the Weimar Republic in Germany at that time, great upheavals, divided society, the people were agitated. 
Many religious movements were founded, countless preachers roamed the country. Buddha also came into contact with these impulses during his travels. He now decided on a life of ascetism and abstinence. Strict rules on eating led to his haggard figure, slowly his strength left him. Total renunciation brought him closer to death than to life. He began early with meditation, which he intensified more and more. He was almost completely absorbed in fasting. In this time, meditation was a very common practice in India to get closer to the gods. Over the years, Buddha improved his meditation techniques, but did not really come closer to his goal, realization. He could probably already sense his potential, but the implementation of his own teachings was still a long time coming. Meditation is often misunderstood in Western culture. Firstly, there are very different types, and secondly, they cannot all be lumped together. Europeans usually think of meditation as a complete immersion in a cross-leg position. But there are also countless types of meditation and movement, walking, breathing, mindfulness, etc. The meditation of the historical Buddha was probably a reflective meditation, in which he meditated cross-legged, a common way of sitting in Asia, but at that time thought about and reflected on the meaning of life. According to the legend, Buddha founded the, his doctrine of enlightenment during one of these meditations. Under a Bodhi tree, his mind awakened and the sufferings of life fell away from him. From my point of view, this is the crux of the matter. Most offers do not go into detail about his awakening at all, but just put it out there. This is certainly due to the fact that these offers have not experienced any enlightenment and therefore cannot go into it. It was probably even the case that Buddha did not find his enlightenment under the tree in question, but only when he gave up all wanting, when he sat down completely exhausted on the banks of a small stream, when he no longer asked for knowledge, only then did enlightenment finally come to him. The essential point in the Buddha's teaching is the striving for enlightenment. Little has been handed down directly from Buddha, mostly his words were recorded many years after his death. Over time, the views of his followers were added to the Buddha's teaching, comparable to the changes that the Church has made on the words of Jesus Christ after his death. In my view, Buddhism is solely about personal enlightenment. What do you think? Is there possibly a task that human beings have to do in this world? Could it be that there is a purpose behind our existence that needs to be explored, or are we on this earth simply to reproduce? Is there a chance, from their point of view, that life could be about something completely different, that behind mere existence a purpose magically mysteriously and hiddenly awaits us. At conception, the male sperm comes together with the female egg. The genes are mixed, the human being comes into being. But where does the personality come from? Was it also conceived? Or does this personality come from a completely different source? 
Where does my I come from? And third, so who am I? Where was I before? And where will I go? Questions about questions to which only enlightenment can give us the necessary answers. But what is awakening? What makes a person an enlightened one? According to Buddha's philosophy, the whole of life is predetermined by karma, written down in advance, so to speak. How do we have to imagine this now? When we come to a crossroads, we have various options. We can go straight ahead, turn right or left, we can go back again, or even settle down at this crossroad for good, building a house there, start a family right here. We can stay at this crossroads for an hour, a month, a year, or even for our whole life. The Buddha's teaching tells us that everything is predetermined, whether or we are sad or happy about it. Today, you could say that life is like being in a film. The script is ready, the actors are hired, and we are one of those actors from our own film. No matter how we think and act, the film continues to play, whether we agree or not. Regardless of age, gender or social environment, we must take what comes and how it comes. We must not let fate get too close. From this predestination it follows that we cannot change anything. We must overcome both suffering and happiness, and according to Buddha, we should take the path of the middle. Not sky-high cheering and not too death distressed, but we must accept our fate stoically. Then we too will find enlightenment, peace, contentment and quiet happiness. Look at life like a film, your film, the film of your life. Sit back and look soberly and neutrally at every aspect of the story. The very personal film. You are old and sick. If you follow the philosophy of Buddha, then you will understand that firstly, you cannot change this, and secondly, you will only gain enlightenment from it. Your life is really like a film, sit back and watch it. You certainly cannot change anything about it. If you don't want to change anything, accept everything as it is, then you will also find your personal enlightenment. Don't worry too much, accept life as it is. Our fate is written according to Buddha, therefore we are not at fault. According to the teachings of the great Buddha, really everyone can find enlightenment. Enlightenment is not a big secret either, it is this small, short moment in which we step out of life we have known so far, out of the worries and hardships, out of the eternal self-doubt, accepting the film as it is, whatever may come, without wishing or wanting anything. We are the way we are because it was predetermined. Our life is the way it is contains guilt, hatred, greed, unnecessary feelings, but we can't change anything on the way. Even love, if it's predetermined, will come, if not, then not. Not everyone will experience love in their life, others possibly several times. Karma is karma, our film is predetermined. Everyone can love and be loved.
if it's their destiny. Whoever has understood this life's a content life of the middle, he rests in himself, he is not extensively afflicted by feelings, he walks the path of Buddha. Shortly after his awakening, Buddha began to spread his teachings. The core message of his philosophy was, and still is, that truly everyone can achieve enlightenment and live a life of compassion and freedom from desire. Buddha's teaching shows us that in order to experience enlightenment, we will pass through a gateless gate after a long and pathless path. To help us, Buddha gave us the Four Noble Truths as the basis of his worldview. The Eightfold Path is built on this, complementing these Four Noble Truths. To aspire to enlightenment is easier said than done. How can we correctly achieve this state? Do you remember your first love? All the time our thoughts revolved around the loved one. Non-stop his her image was before our eyes. Over and over again we digressed towards this one special person. People are plagued by their ego all day long. Thoughts are constantly wandering. All kinds of scenarios are created by our ego. What if, if only, what will come? Does she love me? Will I keep my job? Such thoughts circle through our mind palace all the time. They are not useful in any form. The ego must be silenced. But we only silence the harmful thoughts when we give our thought palace a task. When we offer the possibility to occupy the ego elsewhere. In the place that has become free, enlightenment now takes over in our thoughts. Again and again the thoughts now wander to the philosophy of Buddha as they once did to the beloved person. What if there is something to this enlightenment thing? If there really is a task that we humans have to complete, if there is a real chance to finally get out of the cycle of suffering, what would such a universal existence look like? Where was I before I was born? Where do I go after I die? What colors do I see now when I think about it? What energies can I sense when I engage with this concept of enlightenment? When bad thoughts come up, push them aside. Put them in an imaginary box in your thought palace. Give the box a color, mine is red. Focus on the concept of enlightenment. Immediately replace bad thoughts when they arise with the thoughts about the personal enlightenment. Can it be that there really is something to this enlightenment thing? Later in his life, Buddha gathered disciples and followers around him also similar to the great founders of religion, and founded a community, a Buddhist monastic order, the Sangha. In his teaching activities he was particularly opposed to the Indian caste system with its associated social injustices. During, during his lifetime countless people listened to his teachings and all sectors of society listened to his words. The so-called Pali Canon, Buddhist source text, contains historical material of his speeches 
as well as the history of the religion of the first monastic order. Before his death, Buddha gathered his followers around him one last time. As it happened, the monk Mahakasyapa became his successor. The wheel of teaching continued to turn and the monk became the first patriarch of Buddhism. Buddha died at the age of about 80 in a grove of trees in what is now the town of Kusinara. Surrounded by his followers, he fell asleep peacefully and forever. Already about a hundred years later after the passing of the historical Buddha, the first discord occurred on the second Buddhist council. Buddhism split into two directions, that of the small Hinayana and that of the great vehicle Mahayana. Among the followers of the small vehicle were practitioners strives for personal liberation from suffering. Here, the most important school is Tethavada Buddhism, a strictly ascetic form practiced mainly by monks, similar, for example, to the Franciscans in Christianity. In Mahayana Buddhism, the goal is the salvation of all living beings. It is important that the practitioner is prepared to take responsibility for himself and others. Mahayana Buddhism is much more suitable for normal people. One does not have to be a monk or nun to find a Buddhist home here. A characteristic feature of this doctrine today is again the depiction of Buddha and the guardian spirits Bodhisattvas in statues and images. The Buddhism of the Shaolin Temple is a subform of Mahayana Buddhism and is called Chan Buddhism or Zen. It goes back to the historical founder of Chan or Zen, the Indian monk Bodhidharma, who incidentally rejected the representation of Buddha in statues or images. In the time of Emperor Asoka, around 250 BC, the Buddha's teachings spread first through India and then to the surrounding countries, thus Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, China, Japan, Tibet, Vietnam, Indonesia and Korea gradually came into contact with Buddhist teachings. In India, an expansion of other religions around 1080 almost completely displaced Buddhist teachings. Buddhism in everyday life is the motto of my podcast. I try to explain with my words in a simple and understandable way how to manage everyday life as a Buddhist how to integrate the philosophy of the teacher of all teachers in daily life. Through my blog and podcast, I have gone from being a simple Buddhist with an opinion to a Buddhist teacher. Through the work of this blog, but mainly through the people who read and hear my texts, who take my words to heart. Through the readers and listeners who are inspired to reflect by what I say. According to Buddha, his teaching should be passed on from heart to heart, that is, from teacher to disciple. If you like, I'm your new Chan teacher. A Chan teacher must be like an alarm clock, like the alarm that rings us out of bed in the morning. The Chan teacher should point with an outstretched finger to a point, in my case enlightenment. I would like to be your alarm clock, the ring, the man who accompanies you when you wake up. I advise you to go the way of Buddha, 
what have you got to lose? Whoever has listened this far is a Buddhist and now also a virtual disciple. Happiness is a butterfly, said the master. Chase after it and it escapes you. Sit down and it settles on your shoulder. So what should I do to attain happiness, asked the disciple. You could try sitting down very still, if you dare. This is a quote by Antonio de Mello, a Jesuit priest and spiritual teacher. Richard Wagner, the powerful German composer, said, Reincarnation and karma form a wonderful, quiet and incomparable work myth against which every other dogma must seem pity and narrow-minded. Please also visit my website shaolin-reiner.de or download my app Buddha Blog in all app stores. Have a good day. Thank you for listening.